Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to 3CR. We're at this time we're bringing you slightly different programming than usual. But rest assured, we're still here, bringing you radical, alternative current affairs, music and community language programming. Stay tuned to 3CR. Welcome. Uh, hi, I'm Bill. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, this week I'm co-presenting for the last time with Jude. Bye, everybody. <laughs> I'm off to Queensland for six months and I'm leaving you in Bill's capable hands. <laughs> As you've heard. And we're talking about coping with the effects of someone else's drinking and how support from self-help groups can make a real difference. I'm joined in the 3CR studio this afternoon by Merrily. Hello. And Alice. Hello. Uh, they're two members of Alan Family Groups and will share their experience of living with an alcoholic and how Alan has helped them. I too am a member of Alan. Um, my dad was an alcoholic um, and drank, I think, from when he was 14 to 84. Um, he didn't have a problem with drinking, but I certainly did. I couldn't cope with his drinking and the, the, the effects of his drinking on my life. Um, it took me a long time, till my early 20s, to get in to, uh, to look for some help. And originally um, I went through AA because uh, I didn't know Alan existed. And I realised Dad's drinking was a problem a long time ago, but I didn't really understand alcoholism and how it worked and the fact that it was a family disease. So um, I was wondering... Um, Marilee, what what was your first contact with alcoholics and how did you realise that drinking was a problem? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, my, as we call it, our qualifier for uh, being in the program is um, my mother who does have a problem drinking. But like you said, Bill, uh, I recognize now that, you know, she is fine with her drinking and I'm the one who has the problem with it. Uh, but I was, I don't know that I really realized that there was a problem with her drinking. I just knew there was something really wrong with my life and I was really unhappy and, uh, and it was pointed out to me actually by a member of AA that my mother might be an alcoholic and her drinking might be affecting me. And they suggested I go to Al-Anon and actually took me to my first few meetings. Um, so, yeah, I, I really wouldn't have – I didn't realise until I was in the rooms and hearing these stories that were similar to my experience and then started to think, oh, maybe I am affected by this. Yeah. So what was your mum doing that was affecting you? Um, well, a lot of it, and I'm glad you said about the family disease, because I, I don't think I really understood that for a long time. And I think what it means for me today is that, you know, alcoholism is a disease that exists not only in the body of the alcoholic, but also in the relationships that they have. And so in my experience, the way that I was affected by her, my mother's drinking was, um, was kind of by the way that she would interact with me the way that we would have conflicts and they wouldn't be resolved. Um, you know, the way that she would become very irrational and moody and, uh, you know, it made the effect for me was that I ended up totally adjusting my own behavior in an attempt to try and soothe her or, you know, calm her and just kind of lost all sense of what I needed and what I wanted. Yeah. Mm. Sounds familiar. 
So, Alice, um, I understand that um, you had a family that had alcoholism, but you didn't really realise that there was anything going on. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realise. I, I mean, I knew that my grandfather was an alcoholic, mm. um, but it never occurred to me that that would really affect me. You know, he was present in our lives, but not in not in such a way that, that the alcoholism was something that I was confronted with on a regular basis. Um, my The reason I came into Al-Anon was because my partner is an alcoholic, but she's also in recovery and has been in recovery for, you know, seven years sober. Um, so she was the one that suggested Al-Anon to me. And it wasn't until I'd been in Al-Anon for a while and I was kind of realizing all of these traits that I had in common with everybody else in the rooms. And I was kind of like, you know, this is this is quite odd because so many of these people have developed these traits as a response to growing up in an alcoholic home. And I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home, or so I thought. Um, I was like, why, do, why did I have these traits? Like why, you know, if, I, if, if my alcoholic has only just turned up in my life, why have I had these traits for my whole life? And it's only then that I started to read a bit more of the literature and realize, you know, how, how the, the family disease of alcoholism can spread through generations. You know, my mother was affected by her father and therefore that affected me in turn. So I did really grow up with that family disease, even if it wasn't, you know, my immediate home that was alcoholic. Yeah. And so then what about your partner? Did you realise your partner was an alcoholic or...? She's very open about it. Um, so she was, you know, from... I was friends with her for a while before we started dating and so I knew about her alcoholism from the moment we met and AA is a huge part of her life. Um, she's really active in the program and it's really important to her and so it's something that she talks about a lot and quite openly... Um, with people close to her. So so I did know about it, but I also didn't realise, you know, I kind of, because I didn't understand much about alcoholism, I thought that because she was sober, she was fixed and wasn't an alcoholic <laughs> anymore. Um, and I've since learned <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. So again, like it didn't occur to me at the time that that would be something that would be affecting me. Right, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's easy to think um, the the family effect doesn't doesn't affect me i i have um my mother and my two sisters mum went to the first meeting i ever went to in aa but would never go to Alanon because she didn't want to talk to other people about her problems um and my two sisters chose not to go to Alanon. and one of the most difficult things i had with with my mum was having to sort of as much as i accepted my dad as an alcoholic i had to accept that my mother didn't was affected by alcoholism but didn't want to be treated. Mm. And so she would continue, she would perpetuate the alcoholism in the family by not being, not wanting to do anything about it. And that was really hard initially to, to cope with because, you know, I was getting better, I was feeling a lot better. And just to let her be, you know, to accept her as she was, and that's, you know, that, that's, I guess, one of the, the underlying values in, in Alan is acceptance of people exactly where they are mm. and to be able to move on and get on with your own life in spite of what they do. So dad kept drinking, mum kept arguing with him, they kept on fighting for a long time before he died and um, and you go, well, that's that's their life. 
Yeah, it's like one of those, um, you know, kind of core principles. And I think it might be out of the AA big book, but around uh, acceptance being the answer to all my problems today. And if I'm disturbed, then there's something in me that's actually... It's out of balance. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And um, I always come back to that when I'm feeling unsettled now. It's just, well, what am I not accepting in my life right now? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, Jude, um, being an alcoholic mm-hmm. and being a recovering alcoholic... Yep. Um, so what's it what's it like to realise that you've got a problem that you need to do something about? The first thing you hear is the screaming, <laughs> your ego going, I don't have a problem, shut up about the problem, there is no problem, and you don't realise you've even challenged yourself about having one. <laughs> There's just certain parts of your existence that you are not allowed to probe because you're petrified of the answers. And uh, and for me going in and sitting around in a room of people who are all alcoholics who are completely fine with it and very, very comfortable with talking about it was uh, amazing and it made me cry a lot and uh, put me in shock a bit because I was, yeah, I was like, I, I kept expecting the ground to open up and swallow people. They'd say, I have a mental health illness and I'd be like, you cannot say that in public. <laughs> it is not cool the universe will crash and then nothing would happen to that person and then i'd find myself saying well i have a mental health problem and other people would look at me like shut up like shut that down Mm. we don't talk about that so yeah a lot of resistance to any you know any any openness has been won in a tough fight (laughs) yes yes that's right so um so what what did you what did your family think when you started I pretty something. much just didn't tell them much. Um, no. I'd been um, – my, my family uh, don't, don't drink problematically as far as I can tell. My parents have two glasses of wine when they come home from work and have done since 1975 and <laughs> haven't shown any really signs of alcoholism. So um, I kept my drinking away from them and then I kept my recovery away from them a lot. I rang my gran when I was a year sober. I said, gran, I haven't had a drink for a year. She's like, oh, yes, and then went on to other things. And then I rang her when I was two years sober. I said, gran, I haven't had a drink for two years. She goes, you might talk to your cousin. (laughs) (laughs) But my mum's been really super, like the the folks are really supportive. They're like, yeah, we assume that you were just drinking and not telling us and you were in another state. So I'm like another state of Australia, not in another mental, emotional state. (laughs) So... uh, so they just sort of accept it and accept that I'm in recovery. And my mum's been on this show, bless her. Um, ah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so the, the next thing that, that happens once you realise you've got a problem, then somebody points out that there's a solution. And sometimes you go, yeah, but don't really want a solution. I'm okay. And I think the thing that got me with Alan was that you could just sit down in a meeting and for once, there wasn't anybody criticising you. You didn't have to say anything. You didn't have to do anything. You could just listen. And you could hear other people's experience that meant that um, it sort of validated all those thoughts and feelings that you had, but you couldn't talk to anybody else about. I remember I had um, some friends who who were quite, very close, probably the closest friends I had, and I told them one time about my father's drinking, and they were just staggered like their father's drank and why was my dad's drinking a problem like what's the problem (laughs) isn't everybody's father drink and they couldn't they didn't really know the difference between drinking and alcoholic uh, and alcoholism and really after that i don't think i said anything to anybody for a couple of years 
until I went to that AA meeting because it was like, you know, you just can't, nobody would understand. So did you have a similar sort of nobody understood Merrily or were you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, I think I identified a lot of it in retrospect after I came into the Al-Anon meetings and just sat and listened and, and I would echo the same as what you said, Bill, that, yeah, when I first came in, um, I was really afraid because I thought I was going to have to talk about <laughs> everything. And, you know, I think that's the nice thing about Al-Anon is that, you know, you can show up, you can talk, you can not talk, um, you can talk to someone after the meeting or not. And it was just that um, that freedom to just be, and that wasn't something I had experienced at all in my family growing up because it was always this sort of battleground, either anticipating a fight or recovering from a fight or having the fight and it, in whatever scale that was. Um, and just the chaos of growing up with an alcoholic parent meant that um, I was very nervous about letting any of my feelings leak out. And I used to very proudly tell people how, you know, I thought I was so mature. I was like, oh, I have this box inside me where I, you know, I can just put all my problems and not think about them, you know. <laughs> and when I went into that first Al-Anon meeting, oh, the box lid flew open because I was surrounded by people who were just sharing all of that stuff. And yeah, I don't have the box anymore <laughs> because I feel like that's not the way I want to live my life. You know, I want to have a whole a whole lot of feelings and you know it's that whole thing of if you shut down if you shut out the bad you also by default shut out the good so yeah full emotional experience for me yeah. now <laughs> <laughs> so how about you alice what? well you know i guess it was it was a bit of a different experience like i don't necessarily feel like i was misunderstood beforehand except in the sense that i misunderstood myself <laughs> yeah. and where a lot of my pain and um my struggle was coming from um like I recently moved back from overseas and when I returned I proceeded to have a complete breakdown um and was really severely depressed and really anxious and it was during that time that that my partner encouraged me to check out an Al-Anon meeting um and at that time I still didn't realize that it was alcoholism that was affecting me um, I knew that I was unwell, but I didn't know why. And it was so I think for my first few meetings, I kind of I that something that happens in those spaces, the way in which people open up and connect with one another and are present with one another and listen to one another. I'd never experienced that before. And that really resonated with me. It really touched me. Um, so I liked the meetings. So I kept coming back. But I felt like a complete fraud. I felt yeah. like I didn't belong there at all. Um, and, you know, because my partner was sober and so, you know, she wasn't an active drinker. I imagined everybody else in the room was living with these um, daily drinkers and was struggling with these. You know, I created all these scenarios in my head that was so much worse than what I was experiencing. Um, but I kept going to the meetings, even though I felt like a fraud and like I was taking advantage of everybody there and using them for my own comfort. But <laughs> I kept turning up and over time um the more meetings i went to the more i realized that i that i belonged there that i needed it yeah 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 i think it's that that feeling that one you're not responsible for what's going on outside mm. but you're deeply responsible for what's going on inside and that nobody knows but you and you've got the facade one or more facades up to to people and you just need to 
get rid of the facades and it's mm-hmm. it's hard to break that down yeah well i think we might go to a song from a private life so public as the tabloids caught your tears being photographed how sad how tragic but it doesn't have to be that way on the burning vinyl alternative music program Burning Vinyl, Fridays, 2 till 4pm, on 3CR. Welcome back. Um, you're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, if you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then head to your preferred podcast platform on 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree. Uh, you'll also find out details about the Living Free Show and how to contact us. I'm talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alan and family groups. We've been talking about what it's like before we find some help. So, And as Alice mentioned, once you get in, you feel a bit of relief. Um, so, Marilee, what what's it like to find help? <laughs> yeah, a huge, a huge relief. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things about alcoholism is for the alcoholic and for those family and friends is that it's incredibly isolating. You know, there's a lot of shame and guilt and all of those kind of negative emotions attached to it. And it keeps us trapped in a little cycle of not wanting to tell anyone else that we're not okay. And so the biggest thing for me about, you know, admitting that I had a problem with someone else's drinking was that it opened me up to the support that was available from all of the other members in the Al-Anon family groups membership because they all have lots of experience, you know, in what it's like to um, survive and recover from this disease. So I think the biggest thing for me was just that it it enabled me to ask for help in all areas of my life. So it, it became bigger than just how to deal with the drinker. It then meant that, you know, in, in my work, I'm now more open to feedback and I'm now more open to asking for help when I'm not coping in whatever facet of my life. Um, but also I think it working the Al-Anon program also has just helped me become more resilient to the challenges that we have in life because I think there's a big myth perpetuated uh, out there about this idea that we just should get to happiness and then we're just always happy forever and it's just <laughs> not true, you know. it's there's, We're always going to have little challenges and big challenges in life and so what this program has taught me is to um, increase my personal resilience to be able to um, weather those storms when they come by and not be so tipped off my balance that I can't cope anymore. So that would yeah. probably be yeah, yeah. a couple of the bigger well, things. Somebody explained to me that it's a bit like a seesaw, that when mm. you come in, you're, on, you're at the end of the seesaw and everything that happens, you're either down or you're up. Mm. You've got no control. Somebody mm. at the other end's controlling what the mm. hell's happening. And coming to Alan um, or into recovery, you start moving to the centre of the seesaw and so the, the ends are going up and down. Mm. You're in the middle. You're just enjoying watching the ends going up and down. <laughs> yeah. And so you become a bit of an observer. Uh, mm. Of life, rather than a, you're not part of the, you're not part of the play. Mm. You're part of the audience, and it's just, mm. it's terrific. You can see, you see all these things, and just looking, I found just looking at my family, you know, I'd see all these things that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, definitely. But once you step back a little bit, so what was it? What was the feeling like then? The, you know, 
to, to be able to be in control <laughs> or in control of your life, not everything else? Yeah, I guess a lot of things that I thought used to be important have just fallen away, like other people's opinions, <laughs> um, getting things right. I was really obsessed with getting – like I, things had to be perfect or I wouldn't do them at all. Um, and now I'm like if someone comes around to my house and it's not tidy, ah, whatever. <laughs> you know, I've probably been out living my life instead. Um, so I guess it's it's given me a sense of myself and also like where I begin and end because I think the way that alcoholism affected me, I was very much – I didn't know where I – I didn't have very good personal boundaries and so I would sort of bleed into the emotional state of people around me because I was so concerned with having them like me that I would adjust myself. And, you know, now I'm much more able to um, respond to life rather than react to it. So if somebody comes along and says they don't like this or that about me, I'm able to hear it and to – separate myself from reacting and actually just respond um, if necessary or not respond at all. Um, So, yeah, it makes me feel like I've got, you know, an emotional hygiene now, like I'm not just leaking emotions all over everybody (laughs) and making everybody else responsible for my problems. I'm now able to take responsibility for what's mine and let you have what's yours. Yeah, very important. Hmm. So, Alice, did you... Do any people pleasing? Were you a people pleasing? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, surely not. 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 Do you want me to be one? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I still am. Hey, um, I'm still a baby in this program. I've only been in for about five months, so that's something I'm still struggling with. But at least, you know, I'm aware of it now. Um, I don't know. I had I had a funny way of attempting people pleasing where I would simultaneously crave to be that person who was perpetually reliable and present and engaged and loving um but I would also be constantly leaving and you know I first moved to Tasmania then I moved to London then I moved to Mexico like I was doing everything I could to to simultaneously be that reliable person and get as far away from people that would rely on me as possible. Um, so it wasn't very effective. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of the things that I found that I came in believing I was a people pleaser, but what I realised was that I was try- actively trying not to displease people. So I was trying to figure out what mm. they wanted and then trying to do or not do that thing that would upset them Yeah, and so fly under the radar. Yeah. It was a real... It's, Anxiety producing absolutely greatest definitely. I think I um it was it it became quite like it was kind of a way of emotionally manipulating people in my life. If I'm really honest about it, like you know, I especially with partners or or certain friends, you know, I would I would identify what was meaningful to them, what they liked, what their interests were, and then I would absorb them and then try and pass them off as my own. So then it was like this proof of our compatibility and a, and a reason why they should never leave me, you know. So it's this kind of like intensive kind of people pleasing, but also, yeah, I think I think emotional manipulation. Yeah, it's the chameleon effect, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so the issue is about people pleasing. It's about control. Yeah. It's about controlling others. It's about controlling the way others see me and and if I can manipulate that, then that's what I used to do. I yeah. used to try and make them think I was better than I was because I wasn't coping very well at all. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, Jude, done any people-pleasing in your time? Oh, heaps. 
heaps. So just listening to everyone, I'm like, oh, I still identify with all of that. It's, <laughs> it's really great. And I think it's part of why I've really enjoyed having Alan on participation in the radio show over the last few years is that there's a depth of emotional clarity that is really unique to people who are working um, in this way that you guys are talking about, like being able to really articulate all this stuff, I've been I've been learning a lot, and it's been I've been really proud to um, facilitate it being broadcast because I think it's stuff that we don't talk about enough in the broader culture. Yeah. Um, on a personal level, yeah, a massive people pleaser, and also a geographical doer. So, <laughs> but I kept it within this country, um, <laughs> but really pinged around. I've lived in five different states, and yeah, um, and was always like organizing an interdependency and then leaving Mm -hmm. and going thank god i'm away from all the burdens (laughs) and awful and then uh and then get to another town and start doing it again impulsively that's always the thing i find sorry to jump in but i always find this so amazing is that you know jude when you're talking about you as a recovering alcoholic it's like you know we're all we all have so many similarities, like suffering from the same disease. It's just, for me, the difference is that, you know, you picked up a drink to numb it, whereas I picked up obsession with other people to numb it, you know, because I didn't want to deal with myself. But we have so many things in common. Um, I agree. I always love going to open AA meetings and hearing members share about their recovery because, um, you know, AA is a life and death situation for people. And I always feel like I can learn a lot from the old timers recovery in those rooms. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there is quite a difference between the AA and Al-Anon program, though. Yeah. Because AAs are focusing on themselves and we're focusing on someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's that and it's quite difficult. And I've spoken to some AAs who've asked me how to cope with their son's drinking. And I go, but you're an alcoholic. And he goes, yeah, but but why doesn't he stop? I go, but you're an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you stop? Oh, no one could have told yeah. me what to do. So why are you trying to tell your That's kid right, what to yeah. do? Well, he needs to stop. Right. <laughs> He's in danger. Yeah, yeah. if he'd stop, it'd be okay. And I'm going, okay, you should go to Al-Anon because in Al-Anon it's about the other person, but it's about my reaction yeah. or my response to the other person. So it's not about them. It's about what I think. I should do about them. Mm. And that's the bit where you go, look, you can do what you like. And part of accepting my dad's drinking was it respecting his right to be an alcoholic. You know, some people have got cancer, some people have got asthma, some people have got stuff. Like, it's it's just, you know, it's a condition. Mm. So he's allowed to have it. And typically, if you're an al- active alcoholic, you drink, you cause problems, you get into disagreements and upset people. So that's that's what an alcoholicism does. So, yeah, okay, so that's what dad is. And when he's not doing that, I can enjoy him. But when he's doing that, I'm saying, well, that's normal to him. So, you know, why why get upset about what's normal to him? It's when he realises he, he needs help mm. that things will change. Mm. And I think that's, the, you know, the important thing in Alan is not to prop up the alcoholic so that the alcoholic can find recovery instead of being coddled in in a family mm. environment where they're insulated for so long that they they never find recovery and, and also tragic. i think alanon relieves us of the responsibility for getting our loved one to stop drinking mm. yeah. because i felt like once i realized you know i felt like I wanted, of course, you want to do everything you can for this person you love so much to try and help them to be well. But, you know, Al-Anon teaches me that I can't change other people. I can only change myself. So, you know, I'm best to put on my own oxygen mask and focus on what I can do for me. 
um, and yeah, give respect to the alcoholics in my life for that. That's their choice. And, um, it's a very painful choice to watch somebody do, but also wouldn't I want that respect? <laughs> you know, yeah. I would want that from other people. Yeah. So, Alice, how did it feel? Like, you're young in Alan, yeah. and people often say the first six months is the, the honeymoon period in Alan uh-huh. where you get this terrific <laughs> change of attitude yep. that makes you feel really good. So what's the thing that, that is a highlight for you? Um, well, you know, it's it's been a really interesting process. I think asking for help for the first time is a really confronting and painful experience. And like I said, when I first came into the rooms, I was really, um, you know, I felt like a fraud. So I was kind of just like hanging around the edges, um, enjoying what I could and and feeling like, oh, you know, I'm I'm not quite like these people, like I'm not sick like this. <laughs> um, people describe coming into this program on their knees and I didn't at first, um, but I... I later on, after being in the program for about a month, I, I had some personal stuff came, come up that, that really knocked me down. And it was in that process that I realized how much I needed this program and how much I needed help, that I was desperate. And I really, you know, then I came into those meetings on my knees and was surrounded by a whole community of people from all walks of life that shared this experience with me and were willing to go to such lengths to nurture me and welcome me and hear me out. And I've never experienced anything like that. It was really like profoundly moving um, and it changed me. And I think, you know, that enabled me to gain the courage to get a sponsor and start working the steps. And yeah, like, I think it's been incredible how much has changed already. Um, you know, the anxiety that kept me awake all night and kept me from leaving my house um, has left me. I don't, I've not experienced it recently. And I do recognise that it's a honeymoon period, um, but I'm just trying to do it one day at a time and enjoy it as much as possible (laughs) before the crash. (laughs) Who knows what's coming? Yeah, it's yeah. not so much not so much a crash. It's just a realisation that it's an opportunity to, to live differently for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to take it, you can take it. Well, I think we might just shoot to another. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there, and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Every Monday from 11 a.m. on Community Radio 3CR. Oh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And we're talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alan on Family Groups. So you've been Alan for a while now, so how different is your life now than what it used to be? Like, what what are the things that you notice in the way you go about things Mm -hmm. these days that's different from when you came in? Yeah, uh, I mean, my life's hugely different now. Uh... I think before Al-Anon, I really lived a lot in fear of 
most things. <laughs> so decisions that I made in my life are all based around fear. It was just because I was afraid of the outcome of making a decision. I was afraid of making the wrong decision, you know, all those kinds of things. And I really felt very paralyzed by that. Um, and these days I am much easier to, um, it's much easier for me to just take life, like Alice said, one day at a time and just, you know, make the best decision for me today. Um, and also I think, no, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, what's life like today? Yes. (laughs) What is it like today? Oh, that's right. I think we were talking, um, before about, how the problems in my life today are what we call quality problems. So, you know, it's not these sort of survival, fight or flight type of problems. The things I worry about today are I wouldn't have even had the opportunity to worry about them before because those opportunities just simply didn't exist for me because I was so um, just trying to survive basically and get through the day uh, and today my life is so much less filled with drama like it's um you know when you're living with an active alcoholic or people who have lived with alcoholics it's it's just you know you're trying to anticipate their mood you're trying to um just get through whatever the next challenge and drama is and today uh, my life's quite boring but in a good way like it's I have a lot more space to just do things that I enjoy um, and just do things that are good for me, you know, and that, that was something that was a real revelation was it was okay to put myself first because I thought before that it was more important to give everything to someone else to try and make them happy. And now I realize that I can't make them happy. So I just try and make myself happy. Um, and you know, let that overflow into other people's lives. So, yeah. 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 I I think the thing that I found too, was that there's only one person who can be me. So if I'm trying to be someone else, mm. then I'm not being me. So, yeah, it's – and also being – trying to let people know who I really am yeah. instead of them second-guessing, you know, who who is this person who seems to change their ideas or their opinions depending on who they're with. Mm. Like, you know, even if, you, even if you have terrible ideas, it's – they're mine. Mm. And that's the way I think. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's really important just to, to be yourself. The other one was choice, that yeah, I didn't realise yeah, I had choice. Absolutely. I always felt I had to do stuff. Yeah. I didn't understand why I had to do it, but if Dad did something, I had to do – if he did X, I mm. had to do Y. And I realised I don't have to do Y. You I don't, don't have to do anything. Yeah. But that <laughs> idea is so – You started with kayaking on the Yarra. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to vouch for Bill's, Bill's approach to things because it's all, it's all working out pretty well for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's right. I mean there's one of the books in Al-Anon is called Discovering Choices and I really found that – I mean the title alone. Um, the book is all about um, you know how – how Alanon works in relationships and it's a really great book but um it really was for me a process of discovering that I had these choices because I thought there were so many things I had to do or I should do um and as I you know embraced the principles of 12-step program you know it really helped me to see that those are just stories in my mind that I don't have to do anything um yeah yeah there are options yeah yeah Yes. So, Alice, what? How do you? How do you feel your life has changed? Not not from a, I guess, an everyday thing, but just mm. just the way you relate to life. I guess is that. Yeah. It's. I mean, I 
it's changed a lot and is continually changing. Like every day is new for me. And I think one of the things that's really beautiful about Al-Anon is that the alcoholic in your life is the person that gets you through the door and gets you halfway through the first step. (laughs) And beyond that, it's all about you. And I had such a damaged sense of self-worth and sense of who I was. I, I was so lost. I would lose myself entirely in the people close to me. Um, it's like Marilee mentioned before, you know, the alcoholic has alcohol. We have our obsession with other people and or people, places and things many people refer to. But for me, it was very much the people and usually my partner um, that I would become completely lost in. And so, you know, the idea of choice didn't really occur to me because I I had no sense of self. Like I had no idea who I was, like who would I be making that choice for? Um, And so in coming into the program and being able to look at myself and the role that I've played in my life to this point with compassion and with care and with generosity, um, and with a bunch of people around me that also show me compassion and care and generosity, I've been able to slowly start to build up this self, or even whether it's uncovering this self who was always there, I don't really know, but um, all of a sudden the anxiety of trying to make the right choices to please another person or to keep another person from leaving me because I feel like I'd be lost or destroyed without them, that anxiety falls away because I begin to realize that I'm okay on my own, that yeah. I'm worthy on my own, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's a huge thing to realize. Yeah. 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 So it, it also helps with, you know, things like depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, of which, you know, we, we tend to face because of the situation you're in. Growing up with an alcoholic parent, you know, is changes the way you think about things because you're always on edge about something. Mm. And that's a you know thing, but but generally you know people have anxieties and it drives them to do to drop out of life mm. in lots of ways. So Jude, how did you have any anxieties, depressions, and things that kept you second guessing the world? I still do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, I'm just um I'm just in a little dream over here. I'm just so so happy because um. This is a bit of a dream come true sitting here uh, because, you know, we, we started off getting, getting Alan on in the studio and we very much had AA in control of that and you can get mm-hmm. a lot of, of sort of ego in control and, um, and so it was the AANA show for a long time and, and for anybody who's been around people who are affected by drugs and alcohol and those who are affected by them, that's often the way because we're the centre of our own drama whirlwind and you're in our whirlwind <laughs> and it was a dream for a long time to get Alan on in charge of the Alan on section of the show and to sit here and watch Bill who's so knowledgeable been in the show for a long time and and uh kayaking in the morning evidence <laughs> of success. um to watch you running the show I'm just sitting here going well this is fantastic and this is in some ways really similar to the to the personal process and I think there, there often is um, that scalability of life, like I fix one little problem in my head and problems in my external life get fixed as mm-hmm. well. And there's this sense of, of peace and harmony um, because this problem of of me being in charge of an Al-Anon show when I'm not an Al-Anon member um, is, is sort of resolved and it's sort of similar to that process of letting go 
of this need to control and mm. the need to be the centre of the drama. And I used to just rock up at my mate's place and go, oh, my God, guess what happened? And they'd be like, wow, tell me. And, and, and I would say, you know, I feel like I'm just bringing all my drama to your house. And my friends would say, no. Nah, you know, I'm a mum of young kids. I just sit here watching Peppa Pig all day long. And <laughs> you come in and you bring all this catastrophe in and it's just fun to sort of listen to it. And, 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 and particularly that friend just um, like was a natural Al-Anon person, just didn't get involved in my drama, just liked hearing the stories. She just sort of sat in the centre of the seesaw and watched me bobbing up and down <laughs> with all this catastrophe. And while you guys have been talking, I've been noticed, I've been like, this is, this is interesting to hear because in my life I've noticed myself starting to talk about other people's drama as my problem and mm. going, oh, all right, that person's having a lot of drama and trying to enrol me in it, so I'm just going to step back. <laughs> and uh, Or, you know, if I think I can help, I'll help, but, but not to particularly go, oh, my God, you're having a drama. I'm just going to come around to your house. Mm. I'm going to wrap you up in a doona. I'm going to feed you chicken soup. I'm just going to, you know, dance that dance with you. Locked mm. to your drama because I'm not worth more. Mm. Oh, it's seductive though. Like Isn't I get it? a whiff of drama and I'm like, oh, I could go back into that. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, two seconds later, I'm like, red flag, Merrily, stop. <laughs> <laughs> you need to step away. Yeah. Cover me, I'm going in. Yeah. Rescue her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always think, I always think Bob Marley in my head to the rescue. <laughs> yeah, like, I can rescue the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you start yeah. seeing yourself as the person waving the flag, being the hero. I'm like, yeah. mm, step yeah. back a moment. <laughs> We've got a problem. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now, She's one of the other things that Alice mentioned earlier was the fact that other people noticed. Mm. So, what did they say to you about? the fact that you changed yeah that was that was really beautiful because i think you know when you're in the midst of your recovery and it's and it's it's an active program like i think this is a really gentle program um but it's also really active and i work on it every day um so for me you know the change it's harder for me to identify that change as it happens but I, I was catching up with a really old friend of mine a couple of days ago and she can be quite like cynical and you know it's a bit sus on most kind of <laughs> programs that you could get involved in but it was really beautiful because I've told her that I've been involved in this program and she was just like you know I'm I'm so proud of you for sticking with this because you've changed so much she was like the way you talk about yourself has changed the way you talk about your relationships has changed the, w- the way you're making decisions has changed she's like you even look different you know mm. and that mm. just it meant so much to me coming from her, you know. I yeah. really trusted that and that was really beautiful. Mm. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, well, if um, if you think Al-Anon family groups could help you cope with the effects of living with problem with someone else's drinking, then you can uh, call them on one three hundred two five two six six six, or go to their website on www.alanon.org.au. I'd like to say thanks to our guests, Merrily and Alice, for sharing their Alan recovery experience. Thank you for having us. And I'd also like to say a special thanks to Jude for encouraging me to become a 3CR presenter. Yeah, and Jude. And to wish her well in her six-month, we hope it's only six months, yeah. relocation <laughs> to Queensland. We'll see you in November, and thanks so much for stepping up. And um, it's just, as I said, just it fills my heart to watch this uh, watch this show evolve and watch you take over, and you're doing a brilliant job, and I uh, hope listeners appreciate it. <laughs> so how long have you been involved? I've, I never have any idea. It's more than five years. Five, it's like yeah. six or seven years or something. Yeah. Well, 
we thank you for your for keeping it going so that we can come in and do the show. Take us. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, it's going to be hard to match your enthusiasm when you're gone, but we'll do the best we can. We're going to have a little bon voyage party after this, so we've got a cake, and we'll get anybody in the station come down and we'll have a cake and a coffee and a chat to Judy <laughs> before people. she goes. Cake, 21 Smith Street. Yeah. <laughs> And hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from a gambling addiction and we'll be joined by the member of Gamblers Anonymous. Stay tuned now for an alternative uh, hosted by Robbie Thorpe. And we've got a song to take us out called Lady Luck by Liz Singer.
those dark angels back in the south All the places that I've been When I talk to my mother I can hear her smile Feel her mighty strength and reason She told me that though there'll be storms to come Life keeps changing faster than the seasons And the lady love she comes and goes And she leaves done by law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law. 6pm Tuesdays. QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR. Funded by the City of Yarra. <laughs>